have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're live listening on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, YouTube, Facebook, and oh, wait a minute, not exactly all the way up on Facebook. They took down one of my pages, but you can still find me at Facebook if you go to Southern.Sense. You'll find me under there broadcasting live, as well as half a dozen other places. I have no idea where we're at. I'm your hostess with the least most, the Radio Chickadee, Annie. And unfortunately, my co-host is missing in action. I have not seen hide or hair from him. So I'm going to be doing this a little bit solo. So if I sound nuts, just forgive me. We've got ourselves a great show lined up for today. Uh, we have Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times, or the Epoch Times, joining us, followed by from the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky. We have a lot to talk about, a lot to see. Uh, just before coming on air, Santos, George Santos, the representative from New York, has been expelled from Congress. That's in Long Island, New York, Nassau County, my old stopping ground, is now vacant. And there will be a special election, I think, by March. Uh, Governor Hochul might call by law an election within, I think, three months period. I quote only just bits and pieces of this just prior to coming on air. And hopefully, my co-host will show up shortly. And it looks like we are having problems getting this broadcast to my homepage, substance.net. I talked to the guy who runs my page to see if we can get that back up and running for the next episode. I don't know why, but it is not behaving. Um, 
You can also follow me on Restream.io. We're up over there also with the chat room open. So let's see what we got here. Anyway, uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, We had the debate last night also between DeSantis and Newsom. I watched most of it. I missed the first 15 minutes of it. And uh, I have some mixed feelings about that, whether or not DeSantis did himself a favor or not in there. He's got some good points, of course. Uh, but I fail to see where he really ignited a lot of fires on the people who were debating whether or not to vote. Um, these are things we're going to talk to uh, with Mark Tapscott on that. Again, want to welcome everyone here onto Southern Sense and pulling up the chat room back again. And to everyone that's in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. That said, each and every show we do start off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And as I pull up the dedication information, today's dedication is going to be going out to De- uh, Detective Delbert Fitz, Jr. of the Virgin Islands Police Department, the U.S. Virgin Islands, whose end of watch was Tuesday, July 4th of this year. And this is from the Office of Dan Memorial page that you can find at odmp.org. And it reads just very short. Detective Delbert Fitz and several other officers responded to reports of an armed subject in the yard area of hospital grounds shortly before 8 a.m. As the officers arrived, they encountered a ballistic vest and armed with a semi-automatic rifle. The man opened fire. Detective Fitz during the ensuing shootout. The subject was also wounded and taken Detective Phipps was transported to the Schneider Regional Medical Center where he succumbed to his wounds. The man had been arrested for an unrelated murder several months earlier and was out on bond at the time he was murdered. Detective Phipps served with the Virgin Islands Police Department for seven years. And this is from the Virgin Islands Daily News. And it reads by Suzanne Carson. And she writes, Flags across the territory were flying at mass in honor of 42-year-old VI Police Detective Delbert I. Fitz Jr., who was gunned down in the line of duty on St. Thomas Tuesday morning, July 4, 2023. The latest case began at around 7.30 a.m., when 9-11 dispatchers received a report, later identified as Dangleben, wearing a bulletproof vest and carrying a gun in the yard area of hospital grounds, according to police spokesman Glenn Drake. Upon officers' arrival, the suspect fired upon them with a high-powered assault rifle. Responding officers immediately engaged the subject, according to the statement from police. Police said Dangleben was wearing a bulletproof vest and armed with an assault rifle, handgun, and several hundred rounds of ammunition. During the exchange of gunfire, Detective Delbert Fifth Jr., a seven-year veteran, were injured. Both were were transported to Roy Lester Schneider Regional Medical Center for treatment, where Detective Fifth succumbed to his injuries, police said in the statement. Dengelbin is in custody. And Fitz is the first member of the Virgin Islands Police Department to die in the line of duty 
since 2012. Quote, today is that day no department wants to experience. The loss of our detective, officer, and brother has set ripples through the department, Police Commissioner Ray Martinez said in his statement. This detective Fitz made the ultimate sacrifice to protect and serve his community, our community. Detective Fitz, a second-generation police officer, was a rising star and will be sorely missed. I extend heartfelt condolences to his family, as well as our VIPD family. VIPD Police Chief Stephen Phillips said Fitz's death represents a tremendous loss for the agency. I am completely at loss for words. We've lost a dear colleague, Phillips said. Detective Phipps was truly an outstanding detective and individual. We are truly heartbroken. On Tuesday, Governor Albert Bryan Jr. said he is incensed and deeply saddened by the loss of Detective Delbert Phipps Jr., who was killed in the line of duty that morning. This tragic incident reminds us of the risks our law enforcement officers face daily in their unwavering commitment to keeping our community safe and is a devastating blow not only to his family, friends, and colleagues, but the entire Virgin Island community. According to written statements, my prayers and heartfelt condolences go out to his family and loved ones as they try to get through what I am sure is an unimaginable difficult time, Brian said. Virgin Island flag to fly at half staff for one week, beginning at sunrise Wednesday, July 5, in honor of Detective Phillips' fifth service and sacrifice, he added. I am tremendously saddened to hear of the senseless loss of a member of the Virgin Island Police Department, Detective Delbert Fitz Jr. This is a grave reminder of the continued sacrifice that our enforcement officers and their families make to ensure our safety. The idealist of Congress, Dave Seat Plastic, said in the statement. I send my prayers for comfort and peace to the family and loved ones of Detective Fitz. I also want to send my condolences to all the members of the IPD who operate as a family and are also grieving at this time, Plastic added. Senator Kenneth Gittins also issued a statement expressing his condolences to the Fitz family and colleagues. I'm even more deeply saddened by the fact that this is a tragedy that was possibly preventable in that the suspect in custody was out on bail for another crime, said Gittin, a former VI police officer who spent 20 years in law enforcement. I'm very concerned about the continued release of suspects on relatively loose bail conditions that are evidently not adhered to. In addition to the VIPD, the courts and the Department of Justice that are the gatekeepers and the community must be protected from those arrested for violent offenses. My anger and sadness at this time are overwhelming. And finally, from stthomassource.com, and they write, hundreds of first responders and members of law enforcement from the U.S. and British Virgin Islands gathered to bid a slain St. Thomas policeman farewell. Before the remains of Detective Delbert Fitz Jr. were laid to rest, top government officials awarded him the Medal of Honor. Those who gathered at the funeral service at the El Ridge Lake Sports and Fitness Center witnessed the tribute. Governor Albert Ryan Jr., 
and Police Commissioner Ray Martinez presented the Federal Law Enforcement Medal of Honor to Phipps' father and son. Delbert Phipps Jr. followed his father, Delbert Phipps Sr., onto the Virgin Islands Police Department. He also worked homicide cases as part of his work with the Major Crimes Division, as his father did. Phipps Jr. died from a single gunshot wound while confronting an armed suspect in the hospital ground area on July 4th. Richardson Dagobin Jr. is now in federal custody, charged with first-degree murder of a police officer. Martinez called Phipps Jr. a dedicated officer who frequently sought his advice on how to handle investigations. Did you write it by the old man? The commissioner said he would ask the detective. He's called Young Ninja. The younger Phipps would smile, he said. Then tell his commissioner he had to ask for things or advice his father could not help him with. Ryan extended condolences to the Phipps family and to the wider Virgin Islands Police Department family. He spoke to Phipps Sr. as one father to another. Each of us wants to live a life so that when this time comes, we call this a celebration of life. But today is not a celebration. Today is a morning. And it's a morning because this is one of us who is gone too soon, Brian said. Others, like Senator Kenneth Fitton, walked through the rows of mourners shaking hands with retired police officials. Fitton's a former member of the VIPD top brass, called Saturday's funeral a family gathering. A detective family, the department family, and the first responder family they all belong to. And that really hit me when I was saying hello to these folks here, this back row, the senator said. Former police commissioner and current Senate President Novell Francis praised the two generations of service given to the police department by the Fifth family. During my years with the Virgin Island Police Department, I was honored to work with Detective Fifth. I knew of his son, Dell Jr., became a second-generation police officer. Dell rose to the challenge, honoring his father's footsteps. He took pride in his work and will be remembered for his dedication, professional strength, and strong work ethic, Francis said. Officials addressing the crowd also acknowledged and welcomed the law enforcement escort from the U.S. mainland for the honor flag given to the family. Chris Heisler, president and founder of the Honor Network, asked all first responders attending the service to stand and applaud the detective's family. The Fourth Fitness Center erupted in cheaters. In the years after the attack on the World Trade Center in 2001, the Texas House of Representatives recognized Heisler for organizing a police motorcycle convoy to honor the fallen New York City first responders. On July 27th, Heisler and other stateside police officials brought the U.S. honor flag to St. Thomas to recognize the sacrifice of life that took place on July 4th. Motorcyclists from St. Thomas and St. John accompanied the hearse carrying Fitz Jr. to his resting place at the Western Cemetery after the service ended. They were led by Brian Francis, Lieutenant Governor Crimson, Roach and leaders from the Royal Virgin Islands Police Force. His VIPD family in dress blue uniform 
marched in formation ahead of the hearse down Main Street in Charlotte, Amina. Stand down, Detective said. Your end of tour will take us from here. Today's show is dedicated to Detective Phipps. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women of service first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve this nation from its wonderful birth through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate it with this song from Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless Let it be said When we finish this race We kept them free We led with grace Let it be seen And see the shining sea Beautiful America Living our legacy Oh, 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 the next generation. 
Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, Raytree, oh, half a dozen other places, Apple Music and Amazon Music. I keep on forgetting about those guys, too. <laughs> and also, you can check us out on our new homepage, Net. And we do have my co-host, Little Tardy. He needs to have an excuse being brought in. I need that little slip of paper from your teacher there. Welcome to Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, welcome back. Curtis, unmute yourself. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to be one of those days. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Uh, Curtis, I've got you unmuted on my end. It just needs for you either to call back in or unmute yourself on your end. Uh, we are waiting for Bart Capshot to call in. He should be calling in the next five minutes. But uh, hopefully I will have the new system, computer system, up and running the next week or two. It came in, uh, came in just the other day and haven't had a chance to unbox it yet. So I'm still using a laptop here. But it seems to be working uh, better than the uh, computer that's sitting like a dead piece of <laughs> anchorage on my desk here. I'm using it as a boat anchor since I buy a boat. Anyway, I want to welcome everyone that's listening to us here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, in the chat room over here with us, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Now, if you're trying to find me and you're hunting for it, it's Southern and at Facebook. They took down my Facebook page just this other day. Uh, someone hacked me from Syria, and they posted a lot of pornographic and other crap on there. I deleted everything. I had a complaint with Facebook, tried to get the page put back up, and they said, nope, I was a naughty girl even though I had nothing to do with it. So they pulled me down for violating community standards. Wonderful. Anyway, so I do have a Facebook page back up again now. It's Southern.com on Facebook. Welcome back, Curtis. I can hear you in the background. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got you now. Yay. All righty. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand Skype. 
Uh, sometimes it works like it should. Other times it's like a, a mystery of the universe. Yeah, I know. It, it has a tendency to direct me, too. <laughs> so I had a lot of... Yeah. Oh, there we go. Now I got both the headsets on. Okay. Now I get stereo sound. So, um, waiting for Mark to, to uh, call in. Uh, but the big news of the day is George Santos has been expelled from his seat in Congress. It's been the sixth time that someone has been expelled. Three were back in 1861 for being part of the rebellion in the South. Uh, it was, um, I believe it was 1980. Um, I can see his face and I can't think of it. The other one was in 2000. And now George Santos. So, yeah, I heard about that. Um, wasn't he only in Congress for a couple of months? This guy. He was just. George Santos was just. If you remember, he was also a guest on our show when he was running. He he had been a guest when he was running for Congress, and he won his seat. Wow. And then he started pulling all these weird stunts, and now he is going. He's being indicted. Is he? They're going to be going forth with these these charges of uh, abuse. I like what is it? He was using his campaign funds for manicures and stuff. I don't know. So we're yeah, going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I also heard that we we lost um, United States um, Supreme Court Justice um, today, Sotomayor. Yes. Not Sotomayor. Not Sotomayor. Um, no, no. <laughs> Sandra Day O'Connor, yeah. She was the first female yeah. Supreme Court Justice. Yeah. yeah. Yes, under Ronald Reagan. Still got a little but um, she she was amazing. Yes, yeah. that's a amazing one. Yeah. She led the way in a lot of things. I, I think she kind of ticked off some of the hard right because of her, her moderate stance on abortion. But um, that that will not take away from her legacy, I don't think. No, no, I I, I do agree on that one. She was pretty firm in conservative area, except when it did come to abortion. And what we know about the procedure today, I wonder if she would have changed her mind at that point. The damage that it does do to women, uh, not just physically but psychologically. Um, would she have been as supportive of it? But then again, it is a state issue. It should never have been a federal issue. And rightfully so, it was brought back to the state. But um, talking about abortion, Cosmopolitan has an article about this satanic group temple down in Texas that is offering a satanic ritual to help with an abortion. Now, for those of us that are very pro-life, it is a satanic thing to kill a living creature. It is evil, unless you're doing it in the defense of a life. Um, so it, 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 it boggles the imagination that they actually are going to have a satanic ritual to help you rid yourself of a child take away a human life 
and then to celebrate it with the devil. No. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all with what's going on out there in this godless world that we live in now. And, um, you know, I think most people see the upcoming elections next year as a good versus evil um, theme, and rightfully so, I believe. Well, I, I have a funny feeling that the Democrats' game plan on this because they're not going to get too far with uh, creepy Uncle Joe in the White House. Uh, they may peg it on social issues such as abortion and the LGBT community. Um, they use those as their flag waving to try to garner themselves votes. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what we're looking at. Uh, I do see people in the queue in our studio here. And if you are a guest calling in, please press 1 so that I can bring you in. Uh, I don't recognize the phone number, and that's the number I know that Mark has. Anyway, um, waiting for Mark Tapscott to call in. And I also want to give a special shout-out to a friend of ours who's also listening in the studio, Sweet Sue. Uh, he has hey, Sweet Sue. And say, hey. Uh, we love her and we miss it. Uh, anyway, uh, now I just forgot, lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you: Did you did you get a chance to see the East Coast versus West Coast um, <laughs> debate last night with um, yeah the two governors? Yeah, and I, I didn't get a chance to see it. I, I did. I missed the first piece because right now Fox News is a subscription channel. You have to pay for that. So I had to turn around and get out and buy the subscription so I could watch it. I'm sure there's going to be clips all over the internet today uh, playing it out. And each side's going to pick and choose pieces out of it to help with their campaign. And I honestly do believe it was Gavin Newsom's testing of the waters to see whether or not he should throw his hat in uh, and run for president. And he was saying, no, 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 no. I think he does protest it too much. I honestly do believe that it was testing the waters. And what the feedback today would be, I guarantee you're going to see him putting his hat in there and running in the primary against Joe Biden. They need to have someone in there to counter Joe. I mean, and he's their knight in shining armor. Um, he's handsome. He's charismatic. And he it was a typical liberal who was able to spin lies to make you believe they were facts. Now, I as a conservative could easily pick out the lies. I, I know what the numbers are, and his state is not doing as well as he claims to be. People are fleeing in droves, and cities are falling into ruin in his state under his watch. And yet it makes it sound like this is paradise. California is paradise. They've got extremely high taxes. They've got uh, raging homelessness in San Francisco, L.A., uh, Sacramento, all the major cities. Uh, they've got vets living homeless on the streets, but yet they will put up illegal aliens into hotels like New York. I'm sorry. They've got, uh, it, 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 their economy is in shambles, and they're pushing these electric vehicles to be on the road that nothing else. And we're seeing now electrical vehicles having all these major problems. Nobody's buying them because no one wants them. 
no and, and plants that were going to be open to produce these electric vehicles are not going to be open. Mm. And we're highly relying upon China, the rare earth minerals you need to create the components for these electric vehicles. And we're ready to go to war with China? I'm sorry, Gavin Newsom. Uh, no, your, your state is not doing that way. And yet, if you were just to watch the debate without knowing what the facts are, you would think Gavin Newsom won. And Ron DeSantis didn't do himself a, a lot of good. He got some good points of course. Towards the very end, he started to score points. But he started off, from what I could see, not very strong. So I don't know if he did himself any good at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when you were watching the parts that you did see, it seemed like one got the, the, the best or the better of the other, you know, whether it was a series of questions or one particular question and responses, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think if, if you're not looking for the truth and you were just looking for the way it appeared, I would say then, you know, Gavin Newsom probably won. I mean, wow. There's times where he looked a little bit too smug. So I don't think it was a clear win on either side. But whoever was schooling DeSantis on debate did not do a really good job. But who schooled DeSantis? I mean, uh, uh, Gavin Newsom did a very good job. And debate is something I did in um, in in college, and I very rarely lost. But you know, DeSantis was using clear facts, and Gavin Newsom wasn't. And every time DeSantis said something, well, listen, you know, we kept our state open during COVID, blah blah blah, and yet they had a higher number by maybe not even a hundred. Uh, than California and people that died from COVID. But Florida is known for a very large population, and that's the most vulnerable population to COVID. So that, it makes sense. But in less than 100 people difference, and you compare the population of the two, I'm sorry. You've got apples and oranges. Well, ever ever since the debate between Nixon and Kennedy, um, which was a pivotal moment in, in history because um, people got to see images, let alone just hear it over a radio. And it was very important how you, you look. Um, I think Nixon came off as being kind of um, frigidy and nervous, and, and he just looked, you know, hard where Kennedy came his features were more soft. He seemed more relaxed and his diction was just at the right tempo. And so it, it went to say that um, how you look and present yourself was just as important as the substance you were talking about. And I'm going to look at mm-hmm. the debate from last night, um, later on today and see who came off as being more like the Kennedy who came off being more like the Nixon. <laughs> that would be one way of, of looking at it. 
Um, the standards did, did not exactly look like Richard Nixon, but there were moments where you could see he was feeling defensive. Um, yeah, intense. He was not as relaxed as Newsom right. was. Newsom came across as smug also. Not confident, but smug. And I think that's where he lost a lot of points. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, from Congress is probably <laughs> running around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to get the articles into print for the Epoch Times wishes and get it up onto their website because uh, this is the big news of the day. George Santos being spelled. It took them three votes and it was on the third vote. And I was listening to uh, a congressman, I'm forgetting his name now, uh, asked he was asked by news by an interview on Newsmax why how he voted because he voted uh, no on expelling George Santos on the first vote and his reason being is that he was waiting for the ethics committee to come back with their full report before he made he, he made a solid vote he felt that no one should be voting to expel him prior to the ethics committee and that is pretty damning. And that was a large, uh, I think what the numbers were, if someone remembers what the numbers were on the, on the vote, post them up in the chat room here on Blog Talk. But I think it was like 289 or something or other. Um, overwhelming, overwhelming number of people that voted yes on the third vote because of the ethics report. And um, uh, Jeffrey's got up there yesterday urging his fellow Democrats to vote to George Sanders. But he knew that was going to happen. They want that seat for a Democrat. And in this instance, it's going to be very hard for Republicans to put up someone for that seat. But as I understand, we now have a Republican, um, good Lord, the name just went right out of my head. Talk about having major brain farts today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a commissioner. Oh, good Lord. All right. The, the guy that's in charge of NASA County, he's interviewing somewhere between 12 to 20 candidates to put up for Jake Santos' seat. He's a Republican. And it's the first time there's been a Republican in there for a while. So it was a hard win to bring a Republican back into that seat. And it used to be a solid red county. A solid. Suffolk County, NASA County, used to be solid red. But over the years, as New York turned more purple, it turned purple. And it had a Democrat in the seat for a while. So now we've got a Republican back, and we're doing some heavy, heavy vetting this time around. George Sanders, it seems, was not vetted very, very well by them. And he told a lot of lies about himself, which are coming to fruit. And uh, it's a shame because had I known... I would have pressed him harder in the interview for you know, stuff on his background. I don't live on Long Island anymore. I don't follow the Long Island, New York politics much anymore. But this, the whole nation will have their eye on Nassau County in the coming months. So it'll be interesting to see who they do decide to run in the special election coming up very shortly. And it's a very short time to get someone in there. Uh, you get them out there, the voters that know about them, learn about them, and do their own vetting. 
So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting coming in these next couple of months. Yeah, the House voted to, um, I think it was 311 to 114 to Al Santos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. At least someone's got their figures out there. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. We'll be following that. Um, I wish we did have Marcus. I guarantee that he's running around like a chicken. This is now twice a new happening in the, the Capitol. I've uh, pulled him away from being on the show and we miss him. So we'll, we'll welcome him when he does call in, if he can call back in. But there was an interesting article in the uh, Epoch Times uh, back about a week ago. And it was written, let me see if I got this correctly, who, who wrote this. Nathan Worcester wrote it. Uh, it's called, it's titled Attack on Conservative European Politicians on the Rise. And as I was reading through this article, um, this kind of like corresponds with the rise of the conservative movement in Europe. How dare you be a conservative in Europe? It's a liberal territory. But they want to come back to their conservative roots. Uh, consequently, these politicians that had the audacity to run as a conservative and get elected are now coming under attack. This one guy, Baudet, who is in the Dutch House of Rep- Representatives, uh, had a bottle, an empty bottle of beer thrown at him. Uh, he was taken to the hospital, but um, they said that the, the bottle just missed a very bone in his skull, and it could have possibly killed him. It's where when your baby is born, you've got that one weak spot in the back of your head, and if someone hits you in that one spot, even if you're an adult, they can kill you. But uh, oh yeah, but that's not the first time he was attacked. Prior to that, um, he was in Belgium having giving a speech, and a guy came out with an umbrella and hit him on the head, screaming, no to fascism, no to fascism. However, the person that they arrested for hitting him with the umbrella <laughs> had ties to Black Lives Matter and to Antifa. <laughs> really? No, the fascist calling the conservatives a fascist. How ironic hmm. is that? Now, there was also attacks yeah. earlier in Spain by Alejo Vidal Quadre, the Vox Party. He was shot in the face because he was a conservative. Um, it broke his jaw, did not kill him, thankfully. In August, Andres Jurka of the AFD, which is the alternative for Germany uh, party, he was assaulted, again, a conservative party. And he called it an organized attack by migrants. Now, um, these these uh, people that are being attacked as conservatives are being attacked, as they say, by members of Antifa, which is a fascist group. Antifa, we know, has ties to Black Lives Matter, which has ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, which has direct ties, such as Hezbollah, from Iran. So I'm wondering, as we see the rise of Muslim migrants in Europe and other areas of the world, as we see these pro-Palestinian protests, 
that they are claiming are peaceful that are anything but peaceful, if Iran is actually now orchestrating this. It seems awfully orchestrated. I mean, the banners, the flags, the uniforms, this is highly orchestrated. And this is what we have when we have open borders. Oh, yeah. I, I saw a video. I saw a video. Um, they had a crew from CNN go down to the border because they couldn't believe um, um, that there you know, was a problem um, to the level that you know, our side was making it. And they actually saw um, people just walking across like, like nothing. I mean, floods of people. And they asked one guy, where are you from? And he said, Turkey. So why is somebody from Turkey coming across the border? I mean, if he could come across, then other people from um, the Middle East could come just as easily from al I have been reporting on this show. I've been reporting on this show that there is no doubt that the Chinese are sending of course military-aged men, single men. We know that we do have some terrorist uh, countries, our Middle Eastern enemies. They are sending over their fighters. We know this. Back in the late, I believe it was either '89, no, later. Um, before 2000, before 9-11, and I remember I was still living in New York, so it had it been 1999 or 2000, that I picked up a magazine. I still don't remember which one it was. It was Newsweek or Times. I can't find the article story. On the front cover was OTM, other than Mexicans, talking about the poorest southern border and how the signs in the desert were written in Spanish. Chinese and Arabic, and we were finding prayer shawls and Korans abandoned in the desert. The cartels were helping to facilitate members of Hezbollah to come across into the United States, teaching them how to act and speak Spanish, how to act as if they were from Mexico and speak. So we knew about this. More than 20 years ago, more than two decades ago, a major publication had it on their front cover in the newsstand for anyone and everyone to read. So why is this now such a big secret that we don't realize that our enemies have been infiltrating us for decades? For decades. And what are we doing? We have immigrants coming in on visas, violating the visas, disappearing into the fabric of our nation, and it led us to 9-11, pilots that we trained in our facilities flying into our buildings and murdering Americans on September 11, 2001. So why are we so blind to the fact we are opening ourselves for more attacks? The major protest in Times Square has the tree lighting, a pro-Palestinian protest, which was not peaceful, which was violent. Here in a protest going on in Germany, in Italy, in France, pro-Palestinian, by migrants, and they're going up into the face of police officers in England. In England, if you have hate speech, no, only if the hate speech is against, but 
heaven forbid you have a member of these militant groups, pro-Palestinian militant terrorist groups, using hate speech, they're not arrested. It's amazing how it's hands off. And there's an article in National Review, this week, this month's National Review. Um, I meant to bring it with me when I went on air, and I was in the middle of reading it, and it is from an eyewitness. That a man who is now an American citizen, but had been eyewitness this going on in Europe and in England, and he writes that one result that has occurred to say, "You're right. We can't do anything. Our hands are tied, even though they are violating the law of hate speech." Now, England, the home that gave us English common law, that codified and said that we had the right of free speech in English common law, now says. It is hate speech should she speak out against someone. The very thing that helped us build our constitution, our declaration, their English common law, gave us the Puritans that came over here and gave us the Mayflower Compact, again, the basis for the Declaration of Independence and our constitution. Now a nation that does not know freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Freedom of self-defense. They don't know this anymore. They've lost their freedom because the liberal policies have taken over. And you're right. It's it's the policies. Um, from my research, most Americans, including Democrats, want secure borders. And because of the policies of the left, you know, that these elites are going to do what they want to do regardless of... Um, how we feel, you know, the citizens. So that, I think that is the, the reason why we have to um, go after the, the, the leadership in our country who's who's backing these, these bad um, policies and failed policies. And um, I know it's going to be a struggle to do this, but we, we have to do everything that we can to um, get these people booted out of office and get some more patriotic people in there, you know, um, who's more concerned about maintaining our constitution and our rights instead of um, their own personal interests. Um, as far as the the Middle East um, terrorists getting into the country, um, I mean, it's been known for years that they are sneaking people um, through the southern border from the Middle East. They're learning Spanish and they're pretending to be um, of Latin descent coming in, and um, like like one of the lawmakers said recently, we're going to have an attack, you know, um, sooner or later, and they're going to trace it back to the failed policies of the left. But why should we have to go through that just to prove a point? Um, and I don't know. We we just have to um, do what we can. Like I said, to um, drain the swamp. For lack of a better term. Yeah, well, we've, we've got the Iowa caucuses coming up. Uh, February 24th, here in South Carolina, we have the presidential primaries, first in the South. Um, we're going to see a lot going on, uh, and I think it's going to be important that we pay attention uh, to who is backing whom. Right now, the culture. 
backing uh, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, yeah. And, and you know the Koch brothers are rabid anti-Trump. You know, J.P. Morgan has now backed Nikki Haley. Um, now, she was our governor. And I like a lot of things that she did. There's a lot of things I did with. Uh, she opened up certain areas here in South Carolina to Chinese manufacturing that were very basic, which I did not agree with. Um, in other areas, she was highly strong. But then again, she also against tax increase, which we went up to Columbia to protest. Uh, we two whole busloads of people that came from my county alone to protest the gas tax. That uh, it's still in place thanks to Nikki Harris. So some, some a lot of good things for the state, and there's others that we we object to. That is Christian conservative. Um, I don't know if I would want her as my president. If Trump were to not get. I want to see someone strong, and I know DeSantis is strong. Harry is, a, she is a hawk, um, and I think maybe we need a hawk right now going on in the world. Someone who's willing to say, come on, buddy, you want to bring it on? I'm ready for you. That, yes, I can see her do it. So I've got a lot of mixed feelings. Uh, when I think about Nikki Harry and Ron DeSantis, I mean, DeSantis, I don't think he's quite ready yet. I think in another four years, he would think he would. He would have then honed his skills and his policies uh, and be able to give himself a better persona on camera than he intends to do when he does go into these debates. Um, I think that he's weak with these debates. And I think that's why he's losing points, where a lot of people love what he does in the state of Florida, what he's done for you guys down there. Very strong. And I like him as a governor. But do I think he's ready to be president? Yes. Again, I'm, I'm sitting out there. I, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. I mean, my choice would be to put Trump back in. Yes, he's bombastic. But I think that's what we need right now today. To shut down the board, to shut down the conversation on the other side that is causing all these crazy policies, to bring back normalcy to this nation. Well, it's like I tell everybody, you know, I want to put, I want to put into office the person that the left hates the most and fear the most, because there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, um, I'm always uneasy when you you have the left who who seem to like certain Republicans, like a John McCain or Mitt Romney. You see, we we've had enough of what we call rhinos. We like you said about um, Nikki Haley. Some things you liked about what she did, and others, um, you, your state didn't. But the thing is, is there anybody out there that's a straight shooter? And I think Trump is a straight shooter. I mean, he just go for it, bang, bang, bang. You know, he doesn't waffle on issues. He makes it clear what he stands for and what he's going to do when he's a candidate. And he follows through with it. He'll let you know, this is what I accomplished. You know, I, I said I was going to pack the um, Supreme Court for conservatives. I did that. I was going to fill a lot of judgeships. He did that. He was going to um, bring the jobs back from overseas. You know, things like that. 
And I don't mm-hmm. hear that from the candidates. I don't hear that kind of rhetoric from candidates today. No, no. And what I'm, you're also seeing is there's only one candidate out there that is attacking Trump directly, and that's Chris Christie. And where is he in the polls? Rock bottom. Rock bottom. He's the only one. And the others are being smart by not uh, going after Trump directly because uh, they want don't want to put the spotlight on him, and they don't want to seem as if they are anti-Trump either. So, you know, they're the, the, a, a game playing both sides of the fence, but I can understand the reason for it. It's spotlight being on themselves and not on Trump, because the second they criticize Trump, then the spotlight goes back over to Trump. Well, so-and-so said this about you. And, of course, Trump's going to fire back and whatever it be, because it may not be the world's best thing in the world, but it is good media play, which is what everyone wants. I still think that some of this is about jockeying for a cabinet position or head in a, a certain agency, things like that, you know, so they don't want to get on Trump's bad side too much. You know, as a candidate, they have to, um, you know, compare oranges to apples, but they do it respectfully. But but knowing that, you know, this guy is likely to be, you know, the nominee. So maybe, you know, he'll remember me and um, I get a, uh, one of those cabinet positions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we should be having uh, Hans von Spokowski call us in very shortly. Uh, if not, what I'm going to be doing, Curtis, is texting over to you right now. His phone number is he doesn't call in. Let me just pull this up. And where are you, Curtis? Okay, here we are. I'm right here. Just <laughs> uh, bear with me, folks. Uh, not organized very well today. Uh, as always, I can screw up Anyway, just shot it over to you uh, so if he doesn't call in the next five minutes, we'll give him a call. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about, which I'm sorry he didn't make it in, because I know everything going on between uh, Tommy Turbyville and his filibuster of uh, military appointments and George Santos now being expelled from con- uh, Congress uh, is not everyone in D.C. running around like crazy. Um, has been filibustering promotion. And the reason being is that the military, and the Army especially, is allowing women, that members of the service, uh, that are pregnant as seeking an abortion, they will transport them to a state that has abortion, that allows them to have that abortion. And, um, and at this point, it's an issue about right to life, that the military should not be doing it. The military is there to break things and kill, but not to facilitate abortion. So I want to welcome on to the show, haven't had him for a short while, but he's back again from the Heritage Foundation. I love saying his name, Hans Von Afternoon, Hans. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, thanks. Yeah, we were supposed to have our buddy Mark Capstone on just before you, but with uh, George Sanders being expelled, I guess these people at the Epic Times are going crazy trying to cover all the stories. <laughs> That's the news of the day. Well, it is. It hasn't happened that often, and 
our history, but it it has happened with uh, occasionally, and uh, today was another example of it. Yeah, I mean, I had myself all set to talk to you about election and voting rights and everything else, but that sentence kind of blew everything apart. But I'm still going to go to election integrity anyway. Um, but the, the Sanders things, it, it took them three votes to finally expel him, but they can't bring my office up for impeachment, much less having um, uh, Biden impeached. But they can expel George Cantor. But what about Melendez, who is actually facing just as serious federal charges, too? Well, Menendez, uh, as you know, uh, this is the second time that the U.S. Justice Department has indicted him on criminal charges. Uh, the first time uh, they lost the case. <laughs> they didn't do a very good job the first time. Um, they, they are charging him now. Uh, the Senate so far has refused to act. Um, I'm assuming that they may wait until he is either convicted uh, or acquitted before they decide to, to do anything about it. Uh, like I said, you know, they didn't remove him the last time he was indicted, which I guess was a good thing from their standpoint since he was he was then not convicted. Oh, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, and, and it's coming, the silly season is coming around Christmas time. Uh, and I do believe that they're going to be breaking real soon for the holidays. Yeah, they are going to break for the holidays and uh, Washington will turn into a ghost town, which um, when there are serious issues in the world, that's not good. But on the other hand, when when Congress is out of town, um, they can't pass bad legislation that causes all of us problems. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm getting, I'm getting some really loud feedback. Oh, I'm, I'm not on my end. Are you getting anything, sorry? Yeah, let let me try calling you back because I'm getting feedback. I'm having a hard time uh, hearing you. There's some kind of buzzing in the background. Yeah, I heard it. <clears throat> it was loud, like. Something from the hour oh. limits or something. Well, now it's okay. <laughs> Suddenly, as soon as we started talking about it, it, cleared up. Hey, you know what that must mean yeah. is uh, all those all those government agencies that are listening in and tapping in on the phone suddenly realize, oh, we better stop doing that. <laughs> I have no doubt they could be doing well, that. Actually, actually, I think it was my earpiece. I just took one of them out and maybe that's what it was. I think they were battling each other. Anyway. Um, listen, I, I, I do another show on one friend of mine. Uh, he produces it called Nonsense. And I got something wrong, so I do have to apologize to him. And I'm going to say this on air to him anyway. Um, at the Eighth Circuit ruling in, on enforcement of the voting rights section two, and they that an individual uh, or party not have the ability to sue under Section 2 of the Voting Rights to the Attorney General of the United States. I thought it was the State Attorney General of the States. He's the only one that has standing to rule. And I'm looking going before 
case here from South Carolina District 1 for redistricting. Bring that complaint forward. I'm wondering how that, that going, our South Carolina state going into the Supreme Court. Well, what you're talking about is um, the Eighth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. They recently issued a decision. Arkansas had been sued um, under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. That's that's the provision that's used in redistricting cases when challengers are saying that that states, for example, have discriminated against black voters in their drawing of the lines. And what what the trial court said in that case was um, – that the plaintiffs who were private parties, they didn't have the ability to file a lawsuit under Section 2 because if you look at the actual statute, the statute has a provision on enforcement, and all it says is that the Attorney General of the United States can enforce its provision. And what the court said, and this is the, the Court of Appeals upheld this, said that um, private parties, you, you can't sue because there's no private right of action provided. And, you know, not only does the text specifically not have anything about private parties being able to enforce it, um, but the court pointed out two other things that it, it, it thought was very important to this issue. One, remember, the, the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Uh, just a year earlier, Congress had passed another very important statute, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. If you look at the Civil Rights Act, its enforcement provision, it specifically says that not only the attorney general, but a private individual can enforce, can sue to enforce the provisions of the Civil Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act doesn't have that provision. And the court said, well, that's very significant. Congress could have put it in. If it had wanted to, but it didn't. But and, and the second thing it pointed out was, look, the remedies for violation of uh, the Voting Rights Act, there are civil remedies. You know, you can get a judge, to, for example, to order uh, that new boundary lines um, be drawn. But there are also criminal penalties. You know, the Justice Department can initiate a criminal prosecution of you for violating the Voting Rights Act. And the courts pointed out that uh, that's something only government prosecutors can do. No private individual can criminally prosecute someone else, and that that gave support to uh, what the court said, which is that uh, this statute was only designed for the U.S. Attorney General to enforce it. Mm. There is a possibility then the Supreme Court may toss out our our, our lawsuit that we, us, the state of South Carolina, District 1, we districting boundaries, would stand as they are now then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this case, look, um, the Supreme, there, there are thousands of cases and decisions that get decided by the federal courts across the U.S. The Supreme Court every year only takes about 80, a very small number, but... Uh, I, I would bet you um, a very nice dinner in a very expensive restaurant, uh, wherever you want, that the Supreme Court will eventually get this case. And the reason is, is that there's clearly a split 
in the different appeals courts across the country with other courts saying, no, 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 there is a private right of action. And yet here we have the Eighth Circuit saying there isn't. And those are the cases that the Supreme Court takes when the courts of appeal come down with differing opinions. Mm. Now, had you said that to me a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was down in D.C., well, I should say up in D.C., with, and saw Hannah Davis, I would have taken you up on that offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, fairusa.org uh, flew us all into D.C. to lobby for H.R. 2. Uh, so we walked from one end of the mall to the other several times. And boy, am I still paying for that. Oh no, I bet you are. And you you wouldn't want to do it uh you wouldn't want to do it now because winter has finally hit DC and it's finally gotten very cold here. <laughs> yes, yes. Now just a couple of days ago you wrote a great article, very simple for easy people to understand, about ensuring fair and honest elections here in twenty twenty four. And I was looking at a lot of these. These are things that here in South Carolina my county was very, very, uh, county GOP was very involved in making sure a lot of these things were put in place here in South Carolina, actually going into Columbia to lobby and have legislated into our election laws but these very things. Uh, about, you talk about funding from private uh, donors. Gee, didn't we have a whole big to do with, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, the Zuckbucks. Uh, telling guys, you know, hey, listen, uh, you, you did time, you were a felon, you lost your right to vote, but if you do X, Y, Z, I'll help you do that. I will pay for you to do that so you can get the right to vote back. Now, Florida is one of the states that does that. Uh, a lot of these things that were hitting the previous election, uh, what was the... Um, and the power all of these things because of what occurred here in South Carolina, but we don't see changing nationwide though. Annie, I, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm losing you again. You you're you're kind of breaking up on me. <laughs> uh, what I will tell you about Zuckbucks is that um Look, they were a significant factor in the 2020 election. That that private money going into election offices all over the country, but in particular, almost all of it going to large urban districts, which were Democratic strongholds. Uh, the whole point of that was to manipulate election results and to take the get-out-the-vote campaigns, which are normally paid for by parties and candidates, into government offices and use the government to do that. And frankly, it worked. Fortunately, about two dozen states have banned private funding. And this is something that, this is not a partisan issue. Voters all agree, it doesn't matter whether they're Democrats or Republicans, or they, they say there shouldn't, be, there shouldn't be partisan political donors funding election offices and the best example of how this is uh, something all voters agree on is, look, look in October, uh, they had a referendum on the ballot in Louisiana to amend their constitution to ban this kind of private funding, and it passed uh, with an almost 73% approval rate. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, it seems I'm, I was having that problem with my headset here. Um, my new computer came in. I haven't been able to put it up onto the, to the whole system yet. So I'm still battling with the old system. So I apologize if there are technical difficulties on my behalf. Uh, one of the other things was the ballot trafficking, allowing third-party strangers to handle these ballots. And that's, that's, that's not. That's possible coercion, possible fraud, no, not, not in the least, right? And I'm sorry, the the I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do this another day. Um what what I, I'm when you're talking you're you're cutting out on me. I think there must be something going on with your microphone. So I think we we may need to reschedule this. Oh, I do apologize. Uh, Curtis, can you hear me? Yes, and you are kind of breaking in and out. Oh. Well, I do apologize uh, for that. Uh, Curtis, if you want to take over and let me try to figure this out. Oh, sure, sure. So anyway, moving on, um, I want to, to ask your thoughts, have your thoughts about voter integrity um, progress in the states. Uh, I know that most of the conservative states are, are um, going way out to try to provide voter integrity um, um, for the next upcoming election. But what, what do we do about the Democratic-run states? I don't okay, think that's, they're going to... That's, that, that's tough. And, and look, you can, see, you can see the difference in a very graphic example that occurred within the, just the last couple of weeks. Um, look, you know there's been this big push to uh, have states legalize drop boxes, right, places where oh, yeah. folks folks can just drop off their absentee ballot. Well, mm, yeah. look, in Georgia, which passed some good reforms, they did legalize drop boxes, but they specified that the drop boxes have to be inside uh, county government offices where they can be guarded and watched to make sure that nobody's breaking into them or stuffing them with ballots. Um, Connecticut, on the other hand, they legalize drop boxes. Um, They put them out on the street. They're they're unguarded. They're unsurveilled. Uh, And yet they recently, they just had a judge turn an election there because someone was able to get video of all these individuals coming up to this ballot box and stuffing into the drop in the drop box. There's video out of it. That's what happens if you go the wrong way on these kind of uh, improvements. You know, it's one thing to provide better access to voters, but you can't do that without at the same time making sure you're providing security. And the contrast between the way these two states did this show you that, look, in Georgia, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican or independent, uh, your elections are going to be more secure because of the way they have passed these reforms. Uh, If you're a voter in Connecticut, uh, you you can't have the same confidence in the election process. And that's true. I, I I've seen something like the video you were talking about in the the Nesta right. Souza film. 
I mean, th- there was one guy, he was real blazing, and um, there were people on the line to vote, and he was stuffing um, um, ballots into the drop box. Now, here in Florida, during the elections, um, post-2020 um, um, that fiasco, we now have the drop boxes um, inside, like you say, the supervisor election right. office. And also right. doing the um, early voting in the precincts, but you have to have somebody inside sitting next to that that ballot um, drop box. And I mean, if they leave, to, they need to go to the restroom or eat. Somebody else has to replace them, but somebody has to be there um, continuously throughout the day. And I think the state hmm, sound like Annie. I can hear that that again. But anyway, right. we have secured our God, you think those uh <laughs> you, you think those uh, government uh, agencies would use less um eavesdropping equipment. <laughs> yeah. They need to get some new equipment if they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Andy's um, speaker or whatever it is, earplugs or whatever, but we have secured, you know, the you know, Dropbox um, issue here. And it's sad that um, they won't do it else, elsewhere. And we know no, why fact, they don't want to do it. They don't even want – I mean, they want to allow people just to have driver's license because that's one way you can get the vote, even though you're not a citizen. Right, right. No, you're you're fortunate. Florida, Florida is actually very good. They've passed all kinds of good reforms, all of which aren't going to prevent anybody from being able to vote, but that increase the security of the election process. And uh, so Florida actually is a good example of the kind of, of, of smart reforms you can put in place um, and that's important again to maintaining public confidence in, in the in, in the election system. Right, integrity, and um, you don't have that when anybody could just walk up and show a license, which they give away like like candy on um, right, right. Halloween. And it, and, you, you... and look for, for for folks who think oh fraud never happens. Okay, not oh, only God. can you Google that video from Connecticut that just happened. But also, um, I don't know if you saw this, but also within the last month, they've opened up an investigation in Massachusetts. Heard <laughs> about that. Did you hear about this? Yes, because an election official uh, her, overheard a voter coming into a polling place saying, oh, I need one of those I voted stickers so I can get paid. No, oh, yeah. And and they managed to get video outside of the polling place of a guy who drove up in a big uh, SUV who apparently was paying voters as they came out of the polling place. So there was old-fashioned vote buying obviously going on in that particular jurisdiction. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff we've got to try to guard against. Yeah, and it's it's just sad that people don't believe in fair play, you know. I mean, right. if your your political 
um, philosophy is so great, um, you should be able to confidently go out and um, vote fairly and see if you can win with that philosophy. And there are some groups out here in political parties that feel that they they need a little extra, you know, to ensure that they come out as the winners. And that's where I think we become like a third world country, a banana republic. I mean, people used to uphold our, our country as a, a model of, um, you know, laws and, and respect for the law. But as right. we know now, two-tier justice system, we can see that with what's going on today in the political realm here, especially with Trump and the way they treat him versus the Bidens. So it's just really crazy because I grew up believing in institutions like the FBI and the CIA, but but after after the Kennedy assassination, Watergate, and everything else that followed that, you know, people don't trust government. Well, you're not you're not among the few. I mean, the polling shows that uh, that's unfortunately the same way that the, an overwhelming majority of Americans feel. And I look, I'll tell you, I've been in Washington now for a long time, and the more I see federal government here, the more I mistrust it. And. And what are we going to do about the bureaucracy? These folks are um, long-term, you know, versus people who are voting in and they serve a couple of years or, or you know, maybe lifetime like a Kennedy, Ted Kennedy. But the bureaucracy remains there forever, and we know they're slanted left. How can yeah. we deal with that, you know, I mean? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, the biggest weapon against that is reducing the size of the federal government because you know there you go if those folks if they're not in the federal government because they don't have a job well then they can't do the 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 kind of things that they've been them doing to us and look the federal government is way too big um it is just look just think about one thing uh where are kids educated in this country they're educated in local schools local high schools and in state colleges uh there are no federal schools there are no federal colleges and yet we have a huge department of education that has a gigantic budget and you know that department didn't exist until jimmy carter's presidency when jimmy carter Jimmy Carter created it. The Department of Education is the biggest waste of money you can possibly imagine when education is completely the responsibility of and done by the states. By the states and local county and the local. Yeah, you listen, you could tomorrow cancel the Department of Education, fire every single person in the Department of Education and no parent anywhere with kids in schools would ever notice that the U.S. Department of Education is gone, except for the fact that there might be less interference by federal government bureaucrats on what their kids are being taught. And mandates. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. And I, and I, I also think a remedy for 
what we see going on now, especially um, anti-Semitism, is to reclaim our educational system um, and and get rid of all this 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 brainwashing and propagandizing oh, yeah. of our children. You know. Um, no, it it's very it's that's, just that's Very true. It I is. mean, we got kids who who are taught to hate their own country. So I always say, I mean, how can you get someone to defend a country they hate? And if you look at our 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 service branches, they are having problems meeting their recruiting goals. I mean, that wasn't a problem back in the day. Everybody thought it was a, a patriotic duty sometimes to serve the country. These folks hate it now. Either that or they're not in shape. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> yep. But um All right, well well listen, uh once Annie gets her equipment fixed, you guys have gotta invite me back. Oh, we definitely will invite you back. And um it's let's see, any any more articles coming out from you anytime soon we should be on the lookout for? Uh no, you know, I uh, I actually hope to take some time off over Christmas. So we'll we'll see. I'll probably be writing some more about some of the issues coming up right now. But at the moment, I'm I'm at a temporary stopping point. Okay. Well, we thank you for what you do, and um, we definitely will get you back on. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Thanks, Hans. All righty. Um... That's it. Join us next week. I'm praying for this land I love. America. America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her What matters most to me That's why I stand for the flag And I kneel at the cross Long for the friends I have loved and lost And ask you Love